How is it possible that it's already August? We hope you are enjoying your summer. Back by popular demand is our AirPods Pro giveaway. Members who successfully answer our bonus content quiz will be entered for a chance to win a pair of AirPods Pro. To participate, you must have access to the bonus sections of the podcasts, which you get by becoming a member. Members also receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of August, you'll receive 50% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code BONUSCONTENT, one word, at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code bonus content. Thank you for your support. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we come out of one cycle of elections and head right back into another. Today, we're going to do a, let's call it a back to school special, if you will. I'm in that kind of mood, Norm, Uh, literally and figuratively, since I've been uh, dealing with uh, not just my own children, but kids around the country are coming back to school. And they're coming back to school, Norm, with some headlines that I think on one hand, we're deeply kind of satisfying trial date set for our favorite uh, ex-president Donald Trump and some signs that there are glimmers of hope, I would say, on democracy on the other side. And we're going to try to do this as a combo episode because we are back to school. We want members and public alike to, to all have the same access to this content for today. So I would love to see what I also thought were some I would say some very dark trends in terms of not just the timing of the trial, but also what's been raised. I think a fair debate. There have been some very interesting conversations about the constitutionality of Donald Trump, the candidate, and then what's emerged, more information that's emerged with confirmation around Trump's tax, not just um, lies and and kind of infidelities, so to speak, uh, and literally but also some new information around how Trump himself and his internal team might be trying to position themselves since he is so far as I can tell, maybe you can uh, tell me if you agree, the primary, the front runner in the Republican primary, putting him right at the potential collision course of being the nominee from Super Tuesday as a trial unfolds. So Norm, take us in our back to school theme Take us back to school and tell me what you're seeing people opening uh, their online papers and online zines today, how you read the news around our favorite ex-president. Well, we have, of course, even more uh, potential charges coming against Trump. And uh, these are not frivolous or uh, flimsy ones. We know that he did an astonishing amount of misconduct on taxes by overvaluing his properties by billions, including uh, taking uh, his uh, triplex at Trump Tower and 
tripling the square footage so that he could get a much larger uh, uh, financial windfall from it, but over and over again. And what this means is we have a cascade of charges and potential trials ahead. And while we know one that has been set for uh, March 4th, that's the big one on the insurrection and uh, the scheme to try and overturn the election, the federal charge under Judge Chutkin in Washington, D.C., we don't know what will precede it and what will follow it because we've got trials in New York, trials in Georgia, trials in Florida. Trump is going absolutely bananas over this beyond the usual bananas. And one other interesting little sidelight here, Kavita, is he continues to attack in the most vicious terms the judges and the prosecutors, and any other defendant would already be in jail uh, for contempt. Um, and that may happen too. We may see something more here. But there are two themes here that I think are worth exploring a little bit. One is, given Trump's lead and potentially avoiding the most serious elements of this before Super Tuesday uh, in March, it's entirely possible, it may be more likely than not, that he will have already sewed up a Republican nomination, be the Republican presidential nominee, before that trial starts in uh, March. But the second element here is something that's getting a lot of attention. It started with a law review article by two hardcore Federalist Society members saying that it's an open and shut case, basically, that under the 14th Amendment, Trump is ineligible to run for any office. And we now know that that has been joined by two of the great legal heavyweights of our time, former Judge Michael Ludig and Harvard Law Professor Larry Tribe making this case. We know that some states are exploring whether to keep him off the ballot. The unfortunate thing here, Kavita, I'll stray just a touch uh, uh, to the rather unsettling uh, pictures of Mitch McConnell having what appears to be a second mini-stroke, uh, basically unable to speak. But Mitch McConnell had the opportunity with the second impeachment trial to basically exclude Trump from being able to run. Uh, we wouldn't be in this position if Mitch McConnell had done his duty. He knew it. And of course, remember what McConnell said at the time was, you know, impeachment isn't the appropriate remedy here. That's up to the criminal justice system. Now, of course, Republicans are saying the criminal justice system should have no role in all of this. But they're in a box and the country's in a box in significant part because Mitch McConnell, and I hope he recovers, nobody wants to see somebody going through this. Uh, what? Uh, and I cannot understand why his family and his staff are not intervening more aggressively on what could be a terribly debilitating situation, um, a brain injury that may have flowed from a fall he took several months ago. Um, but we wouldn't be in this position without the inaction or failure to act by Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans. Not only that, I do think that uh, just... It, it is not a sideline. I do think that Mitch McConnell's, and, and this is several episodes, and then that we, and, and we just know, again, putting aside 
anything about him or his politics, statistically speaking, from his age, which goes back, by the way, it underscores the theme around some of the things we've been talking about, both Trump lying about his kind of weight and health status, and also then not discussing President Biden's age in a I think what I would describe as more realistic context so that it doesn't seem like everybody is just ignoring um, the proverbial kind of elephant in the room. Mitch McConnell is kind of living through what is unfortunately becoming an all too statistic statistical likelihood that he will suffer more of these kind of attacks and diminishing of his physical health. That doesn't mean anything about his mental health, but it certainly just shows that he is like many people in uh, at a certain age, just sh- literally having the effects of chronic disease. I, I don't know how to state that any more simply. And so it's not a side uh, kind of note because all of this is coming. You and I have not had a chance to talk about the Senate races, which are, I think, equally as important as the president maybe on some levels, more so the presidential race to, to some degree, just given the mix of Congress and what we're watching between playing out between the House and Senate. So all of these things are, are pretty essential. I actually thought, I'm not sure um, how much uh, you follow. I know you do, Norm, but the New York Times had, I th- I had what I thought was one of the more successful done by one of our mutual friends, Norm Eisen, uh, I would call it graphics politics of the politics of Donald Trump. And somebody we haven't spoken about in a while, uh, Mark Meadows, kind of, I, I think that he, cause his indictment in Georgia has been like, at least for me, just a recasting of the spotlight on how much he has done, firsthand has done to help Trump subvert everything, legality, democracy, kind of Oval Office meetings that we now know he's arranged, um, finding, trying to actually find, you know, in Georgia, the 11,000 votes, so to speak. So it's, it's interesting, too, to kind of watch what I'll say are these like, you know, I don't want to call them side characters. They're so incredibly important, not to mention the host of other people who are, I think, trying to, trying to like put some, put something on like the, um, put something on like these fast and loose legal theories, these lawyers that they're too numerous to count, as I would say, these lawyers who have kind of all kind of come in and people who are on some of the calls with Georgia, some of the other lawyers and John Eastman, who's also under indictment. But they are, I would say what's troubling is that I thought there might have been a shortage of like these people who are like, you know, crazy enough to take on these cases and willing to kind of stand in a court of law and say, you know, there were fake electors and this was not a, a this was a rigged election. Norm, it doesn't seem like there's any shortage of crazy people though, who are willing to kind of come forward. Everybody from Rana McDaniel, head of RNC, even Newt Gingrich. Um, and, and you've, you've cited, I, I think that it's worth kind of calling out some of these people's names. We'll go through the congressional ones that we already have talked about, right? Josh Hawley, Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, um, uh, uh, from Pennsylvania, Scott Perry, Scott Perry, Ron Johnson, Andy Biggs. And I feel like the list keeps growing. So your proposition of whether constitutionality or states put aside, 
I don't think that that is going to be enough to quell what I call like the crazy enablers who I thought would be limited, but seem to be expanding. And then just the public and the lay people in the public alike. What's your take on what I, I view you and I have talked about 2024 being dark. This could potentially get much darker before the dawn. And, and that's what I worry about. Take us forward, Norm, then what could March look like? Just just give our listeners a scenario that is probably most likely in March of 2024 as a trial plays out. But let me also say, Kavita, everybody should look at this graphic in the Times that was done by Norm Eisen and Michelle Cottle. Um, I, I uh, talked to Norm earlier um, saying I uh, thought he had missed a little bit by only having the members of Congress that you just cited because there are so many more who are directly culpable in this, including some who, uh, Paul Gosar uh, and others, who helped to plan the insurrection, and the uh, Mike Lees and Rand Pauls and others also who uh, have been enablers. Norm said, well, you know, we were just limited in the, in the size and the numbers that we could put out. Um, so there are a lot more there. And one of the things that's hanging over all of this is that no member of Congress has been charged, even though if we're going to believe that no one is above the law, they should be. That's an aside. What we know is if this trial does take place in March, uh, that it's likely to be a relatively short trial because what Jack Smith, the uh, special prosecutor, did in this case was to streamline the case. There are just four charges in the indictment, and it's only Donald Trump, uh, unlike Georgia, where there are 19. And uh, it's a, a pretty a clear and open and shut case in terms of what evidence will be presented wouldn't surprise me that the Trump people try to drag it out, but Judge Chutkin is no nonsense. The only real question here is, one, how long does it take to create a jury? Because we know that Donald Trump's lawyers are going to be very aggressive in trying to find that one juror who will basically believe that uh, Donald Trump is immune from prosecution even if he, uh, to use the uh, cliche uh, that he gave himself, shot somebody in broad daylight uh, and killed them on Fifth Avenue. Um, so that may take a while. But what happens if Donald Trump is the nominee, uh, except in formal terms, and then he's convicted of sedition, uh, convicted uh, of behavior that is unprecedented by a president? traitorous in its actions. The only caveat beyond the jury here, it may be a hung jury, uh, but if it's a hung jury, it'll probably be 11 to 1. Uh, the only caveat here is that we are unlikely to see this televised. So that even a conviction here filtered through Fox quote-unquote news and the other uh, Trumpist uh, media outlets it may not have any impact on the stronger Trump supporters. And the question is, how much of an impact will it have on those Republicans and independents who are not all that thrilled with uh, with Donald Trump? 
Yeah, it's so one, I'm glad you called out the what I would say is the ever expanding list of congressional members, because I do predict and it's rare that I do political predictions, but I do predict that between now, I think every Republican is looking at kind of the tea leaves, maybe reading and trying to resist coming out strong and early with even if it's not a direct Trump endorsement, like some of the cowards that were in the graphic, then it's a near endorsement, including, by the way, um, the Republican kind of candidates that have come out to the front already. I mean, only, you know, as we talked about uh, previous pods, you've only had a handful of them um, denounce Trump as not just the indictee, but also denouncing anything that he has done as illegal. So I do think that uh, you've got a number of people who are just waiting in the wings, and that number is going to grow ever more so, not just of congressional members, but of, I'll call them prominent political operatives, period, because that's that's what will likely happen. How, how um, so then it, as we see this kind of playing forward, Norm, how then would you advise, we talk about advising the campaigns writ large on the Democratic side, but the, Dem- the Biden as the nominee, I think he's done, and I'll just put a plug in for something he did yesterday, no, two days ago, sorry, to uh, two days prior to this taping, President Biden and Vice President Harris talked about what I think was probably one of the most significant healthcare pieces of legislation tucked into the Inflation Reduction Act, which was Medicare price negotiations for certain drugs. And they went through with a list of the 10 drugs that'll be subject to negotiation taking effect of 2026. And I think that they put out, the White House put out a pretty, you know, very succinct, direct press statement. I don't know, you know, it did get some headlines. It did. It got some traction. But Norm, I don't think it's getting anywhere near the attention. And unfortunately, like using the kind of term Bidenomics, I'm not so sure it resonates with the public anymore. So unpacking that, which is something I know you've encouraged their team to do, I've encouraged their team to do kind of keeping it simple, but taking it away from like terminology that confuses voters. I don't know if that alone is going to cut it. So what would you be telling, if anything, to Democratic candidates, specifically for the presidency, what to be, um, how to speak about it? Oh, and I do think what Biden himself um, kind of made a comment. I think one of the press pool asked about uh, Trump's mugshot, and and I, th- I I think Biden off the cuff is sometimes the best Biden quotes that you can have. And and Biden himself kind of offered what I think was like the meme for the day around uh, you know Trump's mugshot and and how handsome he thought it was. So I do think that there's um, winning in that regard. But I am curious what you would try telling the campaigns now. So first, if you're Joe Biden, you want to stay as far away from what's happening to Donald Trump as you possibly can. And, uh, you know, David Frum had a a very interesting point. Republicans now are saying that Joe Biden from the Oval Office is directing the uh, campaigns and legal campaigns against Donald Trump to destroy his rival. This is the same uh, group of Republicans who continue to say that Joe Biden is completely senile, out of it, and can't possibly do anything in the presidency. It reminds me a little bit of uh, a classic Saturday Night Live skit um, where uh, Ronald Reagan, you know, would in public be well and, you know, complete, seemed completely out of it. Then they closed the door and he was this 
uh, wily uh, figure completely in charge. Uh, you, you just can't have all of that both ways. But the last thing we need the presidential candidate or Kamala Harris to be doing is uh, going after Donald Trump. Leave that to others. And frankly, leave it to the process. The problem that, Don, that Joe Biden has is that the incredible advances in policy, the, what makes his presidency in substantive terms one of the handful of the most consequential in the last century plus, uh, all that's been done and all that continues to be done just has not reached a whole lot of Americans. And there has to be a more aggressive effort here. You know, it's we know that Republicans are opposed to Medicare negotiating drug prices, meaning Republicans are perfectly happy to have seniors get gouged for these critical drugs like Embril, for example. And by the way, most of the drugs on this list are, are ones where the pharmaceutical companies have spent huge sums of money advertising. It is hard to watch any cable channel or any news channel without a commercial for Embril, uh, usually one involving the uh, horrific person, uh, Phil Mickelson, uh, who's been a part of those uh, ads. But that aside, you, you want to get on the side of seniors and say they want to take away your uh, ability to have inexpensive medications that are critical to your health. But what we also know is some of the Republican presidential candidates are back talking about uh, extending the uh, ret retirement age for Medicare and Social Security. Uh, you know, going from 65 to 72 or 73 or 75, boy, that's a pretty potent argument to use with uh, seniors who are a critical voting block. And at the same time, at the same time, we have still the reverberations from the Dobbs decision. And it's not just that the court made a decision and then it kind of dissipates. State after state, red state after red state is putting on more onerous, dangerous, sadistic provisions uh, involving not just abortion, but more broadly women's health. And I think those are the issues I would pound away at over and over. The consequences here are enormous. And I want surrogates to point out, and I want I, another enormous failing of our, uh, of our media. Trump continues to say that basically his number one goal, if he gets reelected as president, is retribution against his enemies. This is not, and you know, everything that he says, everything that most of his Republicans say, it's projection. Uh, and, you know, somebody has to point out that uh, a Donald Trump presidency, frankly, a presidency, if it went to a Ramaswamy uh, or, a, or most of the others, would be catastrophic for the future of democracy in the country. I so um, yes, that's that goes without saying. And uh, you're you're making me pivot to something. This is what we like to do at Words Matter: spur of the moment. In our closing minutes, Norm, I'm going to hijack talking from Donald Trump. To you're making a great point. Biden should separate himself, reproductive rights, and then I'll just double down because. Um, past weekend before taping, there was a 21-year-old white supremacist who murdered three Black Americans in Jacksonville, Florida. It was at a Dollar General store. 
Um, he had intended, we've come to find out, to attack Edward Waters University, which is an HBC, a historically black um, institution. But then the students who saw him putting on the gear kind of warned uh, someone, a security guard who chased him off, but unfortunately still had, after, after they murdered three black Americans, they had discovered a bunch of racist manifestos. This leads to the MAGA point in a second, but even more broadly, a disturbing trend Joe Biden, in a statement, I thought offered, and I'm just trying to search for his words because I think he made it very clear. Here are his words exactly. America is the most multiracial, most dynamic nation in the history of the world. And then he started to talk about, you know, not just putting the first black woman, Ketanji Brown Jackson, on the Supreme Court, but more black women on the federal circuit court than any other U- United States president talking about um, kind of under him congressional protections of interracial and same-sex marriages, something you and I have talked about that I can't believe in the 21st century. We actually have to have to say that. Um, But then he closed, in his closing, he said, hate never dies, it just hides. I can't think of more important words now because you're hearing also words you would never thought would come out of my mouth in 2023, Norm, Sarah Palin, Thought I could have buried her in the past, but Sarah Palin kind of sparking and stoking fears about, you know, this like liberal kind of these liberal judges and these liberal justices and how we do need to have basically a civil war so that we can take back the country. And I think that all of this is just reinforcing how important it is. Courts are trying to hold the line, but it's being held together in some places by duct tape. And I think that you're seeing um, United States district courts who are kind of um, put, you know, putting judgments in favor of black election workers, people who are indicting like the Trump, you know, galley, kind of galley of, of thieves and, and liars. But the supporters, I mean, MAGA Republicans are trying to defund the state, the federal prosecutors that they're claiming are targeting, quote, Republicans. And think of what would happen in the Department of Justice if they won office in 2024. Like, just think about that. So I want to close with asking you to just comment, because if you add up what DeSantis and other governors are doing, um, banning books, um, kind of arbitrating over kind of social studies and history curriculums that actually erase a number of these things, what you're hearing crazy people, including Sarah Palin talking about and, and things like that, things of a civil war that actually could come to reality. It is, these are not isolated incidents. And so I I triple down on your comments about Biden, not just keeping himself separate, but giving, giving space and stage to exactly what he has done. And I just, it made me think of this event, of of this unfortunate, but yet too common um, racist act in Jacksonville and what will follow, which is inevitable. So Ron DeSantis went to a, a, a memorial for the victims in Jacksonville and was pretty much booed off the stage, and appropriately so, because what Ron DeSantis and so many other Republicans have done is to try to use code words and code terms in their actions that are racist and incite racist to some of the actions that they take. Uh, You know, uh, Biden's speech, which was very eloquent and talked about how white supremacist terrorism is the the, uh, fundamental challenge here. Laura Ingram took that speech and edited it to make it seem like he was just attacking whites, um, which tells you more than we already know about Fox. 
Um, but this atmosphere, this charged atmosphere, banning the books, attacking uh, black, uh, history, attacking fundamental history, um, is so dangerous. And what we're seeing is the stoking of uh, attitudes to create violence. Matt Gates has done it. Others have as well. This is a really dangerous time. It's dangerous for the prosecutors. It's dangerous for judges. We are going to see more people who are racist and others who are simply unhinged use this atmosphere to uh, decide that they have to take the law into their own hands. And uh, the talk of a civil war, which is becoming more frequent among way too many Republicans in leadership positions, uh, is worse than playing with fire. Um, and it has to be widely condemned. And here again, our mass media are still both sizing it way too much uh, for my taste. With that, I think, uh, thank you, because it was a little bit of a departure from what we had planned, but I think a necessary departure and a good reminder that we should be scanning. We're going to try to keep bringing these issues that aren't getting not only enough media attention, but kind of naming names, because as you point out, the lists that exist are not long enough and they keep growing, unfortunately. So we will continue to do that. I want to thank listeners, members, and uh, those of you who are not members alike. Thank you for joining us. Please rate, review, subscribe to our feed on your favorite podcast player. We're on all of them. And if you like this episode, please think about becoming a member of the DSR network. I want to thank our incredible producer, Riley Fessler, and our executive producer, Chris Cottonor for the DSR network. See you next time in your podcast feeds around September 7th. Thanks so much.